The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Laura Powers. Laura is an agile trainer and coach committed to changing the world of work through high-performing teams. She has worked with Hewlett-Packard, Sales.com, and eBay, as well as several ill-fated startups you've probably never heard of. Laura is the founder of Powered by Teams and is based in Silicon Valley, California. Laura, thanks for chatting with me today. Oh, you're very welcome, Leslie. Thanks so much for inviting me. You're welcome. I'm uh, interested to, as part of our prep chat, you brought up a couple topics that um, I can start geeking out about. And so <laughs> I'm going to have to practice lots of self-management today um, in, in deciding where I want to, to chime in with my own comments. So uh, I'm excited for, for this chat. To get us going, I've uh, been asking a lot of our guests simply, how did you find Agile or perhaps did it find you? Ooh, that's a good question. So by education, I'm a mechanical engineer and moved from the East Coast to Silicon Valley a bazillion years ago to help Hewlett Packard figure out how to build some of the first personal computers. And at the time, uh, they were starting to outsource a lot of manufacturing and I saw the writing on the wall and I thought, you know what, I'm going to move into a field where they will never outsource it. I'm going to go learn about a software engineering and lead and manage software teams because they'll never outsource <laughs> Oh, never. That would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's always funny when you look back at your career and some of the assumptions you made. Yeah. So anyway, I got into project management, into team management in the classic waterfall um, style and to the nth degree, um, you know, Gantt charts that were out of date 15 minutes after you hit the print button, uh, it, you know, the whole nine yards. And I got to a point where I had uh, gotten burned out on it, said there has to be more to the world of work than product development. And I completely left the whole field went off into real estate investing and started working with a startup company where I was learning how to do sales and marketing of real estate. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so huge change. And every once in a while, especially living in Silicon Valley, there would be this little, you know, voice in my head saying, you know, you miss it. You know, you want to get back to tech. You know, you love the tech. And at one point in time, I started thinking I really wanted to do that. And my husband said, yeah, you know, that see it, I, I, you know, I'm a certified scrum master and I will own up to the fact that I used to call him a certified scum master, a certified scrum master, <laughs> all kinds of stuff in the early days. I made fun of it. He said, I know you're thinking about wanting to get back into tech. There's a guy who has a little um, agile consultancy here in the Bay Area. He wants somebody to do marketing and sales for him. And so I think you should go meet him because at a minimum you will learn something and it, it may be a good change. So long story short, I went and met, met Chris Sims with Agile Learning Labs, promptly fell in love with the concept and the opportunity to take some of what I had learned outside of world of tech back into a consultancy and help help him build his, his consultancy. Um, and 
I knew how to sell, but I didn't know Agile. So I started just attending his CSMs and CSPOs and his, you know, I would be a, I paired with him on coaching, things like that. And I just, the more I studied it, the more I realized that that was the thing that made all the difference compared to my burnout as a project manager. I was a release manager at eBay. I was one of the people who got called at two o'clock in the morning when a release went bad in Germany and we had to roll back um, the website to a previous version. You know, Agile just made so much sense. And that was how I kind of wiggled my way into it. And Ultimately, I think Chris and I figured that I attended somewhere around 48 of his CSMs. Oh, wow. Close to 36 of his CSPOs, which was great for developing business. But it also, I got to the point where I knew how he would answer the question before <laughs> he got the question, you know, before the person had finished asking the question. And he was like, yeah, you know what? You're kind of ready to do some of this yourself. Yeah. And, so with that journey, when would you say you really started identifying as someone that was really engaging and active as part of the Agile community? Uh, well, so I think probably pretty darn close. It was within probably the first 18 months to two years um, because I've always been someone who was really, really motivated by what am I going to learn next? And my husband and I sit down at the end of every year and we talk about from a personal development and a professional development, what what is on our list that, that we want to pursue. And I remember putting uh, the deal at Agile Learning Labs at the time was uh, if you got a paper accepted at a conference, you could go to the conference and present it. And so after checking very carefully that that didn't um, mean only conferences in the U.S., I started just playing around to see who would be silly enough to let me go speak on something. <laughs> and the Agile Alliance accepted a, a paper, um, you know, a couple of years in on I don't even remember what, and I was off to the races. And from there, um, the more I was involved in speaking at conferences and meeting other people, and then, you know, the whole idea of, of open conferences and the talk in bars and things like that is just amazing to me in terms of ideas and growth. And, you know, I knew that those were my peeps. That was my tribe. Yeah, there is something um, about when you can just be anywhere and like meet somebody. It's like, oh, you're an agilist. You just don't know it yet because there's a there's a way about us. Mm-hmm. So as you've gone mm-hmm. through, right, this journey over the years, what have you sort of observed about the role of women in our community and experienced yourself? Mm. Um, So it's interesting because from the get-go, as a mechanical engineer, there were nine men for every woman Mm -hmm. in the ME program at Virginia Tech in the 80s. The bad news is it's still basically the same and it's about the same for most technical professions. So there's a, a, a bit of frustration that I I feel like we haven't made as many inroads as we could have. Uh, What I see, though, is an increasing understanding and interest in helping uh, the girls and the daughters of the the world uh, get into enough of exposure to math and to science, you know, the, the um, the STEM topics, to make the conscious decision. 
you know, this is for me or this isn't for me and not, you know, I remember very clearly a summer uh, when I was a kid, somewhere around 12 years old, you know, you, you go home at the end of the school year and then you come back in August, September, and all of a sudden math had become not cool for a lot of the girls that I knew in my school. And for me, that making math cool, making uh, product development cool, uh, where girls can find their natural place is still a job that we really need to work on and really to open it up so that everyone gets that opportunity. Yeah, and I think there has been so much intention and deliberateness put on this over the past years. Um, but to your point, it's still just not enough. Um, and we have so many places we can go just getting people into technology roles, but then there are right. Um, and we use the word adjacencies when we were talking about, um, kind of prepping for the episode today, there are so many professions and disciplines that have great transferable skills into Mm. the agile community. Um, that I think we, especially as we think about this women in agile, um, work that we're doing, how do we create the space for newcomers? Mm, You know what? I, I think about that a lot. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to create situations for pairing and apprenticeship almost for people to try it on and see what it's like, you know, and I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about um, where agile is now, because it's become almost ubiquitous in terms of um, the types of companies who are talking about doing it. And it's in many companies at many levels. And, you know, when you talk about going into an enterprise where they have a team of 25 scrum masters and they have a community of practice, I would like to see us help develop programs where they have apprentice scrum master um, a position type of thing where someone who wants to try it out and has the raw skills uh, can then have a chance to to uh, to try it on and see if it fits. Yeah, it reminds me, it reminds me of um, there was a, a time when we were consulting with a little startup in, in California here, and they were doing an agile agile transformation, had you know, half a dozen teams, so it wasn't a huge company. And they knew that they had five people kind of who were, who were set to be five of the scrum masters, and they had one opening that they didn't know who would be that one person. And uh, I remember you know, the conversation going of, well, let's do some of the training and it will probably emerge as to who might be interested in who might be a great candidate. And it became very clear that the tech writer in the organization uh, wanted to be a scrum master. And she also had the skills because think about it, you know, a, te- a tech writer has to be able to translate techie talk to leadership management mm-hmm. talk have to be able to see the big picture they have to like you know work under pressure you know all these kinds of skills it just and it turned out that that gal was the most proficient scrum master she was the one who eventually became kind of the lead of the community of practice for the company and it was that company's willingness to give her a shot and to give her the mentorship and support through coaching and through the other scrum masters to help her to try it out. Yeah. And what and, I, what I really appreciate about the, this framing, Laura, is that you're talking about, you know, organizations that are already on their journey and they have their own 
existing community of scrum masters. And so instead of having like, you know, we have a new scrum master we want to hire, must have three years of experience, creating that apprenticeship program not only is of benefit to our larger community in getting fresh people into it that may not have been part, but what a tremendous growth opportunity that is for the existing scrum masters there. Because I know some of the times I learn the most is when I'm teaching and mentoring someone else. Well, they say that you always learn what you need, or you always teach what you need to learn most. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so another thing, right, when I think about helping people get into our community, you've been a mentor in the Women in Agile Launching New Voices program. And so what, what was that like? And how do you see that program sort of fitting into kind of creating pathways for women to grow their agile careers? You know what? It, so there was a, a joke made uh, that I've heard about when there's a job opening, uh, a man will look and he'll say, huh, I got six out of the 10 requirements for the job I'm going to apply. And then a typical woman will look and go, I have 11 out of the 10 requirements for the job, but I'm not sure if I'm really qualified yep. for it, so I might not apply. And I see the same thing with respect to uh, women speaking in conferences and, and those new voices. You know, there's a lot of, of thoughts, there's a lot of ideas that are circulating in our community, but don't ever make it to um, fruition in terms of, of being spoken from the front of a room because some woman is hesitating to step up and to speak up and to share something. And I just love the design of the new voices program that gives a safe, supportive environment for someone who has that desire and that um, uh, has something that they want to share, develop it in a supportive way and then do it in a place where success is absolutely guaranteed. And then from there, you know, when you look at some of the women who have gone through that program, they are now assuming leadership roles in terms of, uh, of the greater Agile community and helping the next set of women up the, up the ladder, if you will, you know, or along the path, if you will. Yeah. And I think that is just so cool. But it is. And so I want to bring it back to sort of the phrasing you used a little bit about sometimes, um, you find yourself in, yourself in situations where the thing you need to learn the most you're, you're teaching or mentoring on. So what <laughs> was it that you found yourself learning in that role of mentor through launching new voices? Oh, um, so my, my mentee was Joanna Balsing, who is just a rock star, but she needed the coaching towards the courage to just jump in and to go for it. And, uh, and to be quite honest, there's plenty of days where I need the courage to do that next big thing. You know, you know, I have the same imposter syndrome that I think a lot of people, you know, suffer from of who am I to be the one who, and fill in the blank, you know, who am I to be the one who thinks that they should whatever. And so it's little steps of courage that lead to big leaps of faith that are truly courageous. And, you know, Joanna inspired me as much as I hope I inspired her in that program towards that. Yeah. And now she's one of the board members of the nonprofit organization. So talk about taking on leadership roles after participating in launching new voices. It's amazing. And, and, and she's the same person she was before. It's just that, you know, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out. 
and you know, and I'm going to take the first step, and then who knows where this this path will lead. And sometimes it leads to you know board membership of things like Women in Agile, and it's just amazing because we need those fresh ideas and those fresh voices. Absolutely. And in your efforts to really support women in Agile haven't stopped in launching new voices, right? You've been instrumental in working to jumpstart a local group in the San Francisco Bay Area as well, right? Right. And truth be told, we're learning a lot about, you know, what does it take to create an ecosystem in a local area and, and nurture it and help it continue to grow because I have traveled a lot in the last couple of years. Um, my partner in crime, uh, Liza Ridgeway, um, was traveling, is traveling a lot as well. And now we're really seeing that we need to get a team together to who who has each other's backs and can help make sure that what we do is sustained. And well, I guess with that, if there are listeners out there that are thinking about their own, like, hmm, we might need a local user group in our area for women in Agile. Is there any advice you might give them? <laughs> you need a team. Okay. <laughs> Start uh, with the yeah. team. <laughs> Start with the team. Get a group of, of, of people together who's your, your core team who really is, is interested in uh, helping to create this and so that you can divide and conquer in terms of um, the, the sustaining of all of the logistics and things. Another thing that I'm playing with is a question of whether or not what we really need is, uh, is something that happens in an evening, once a month, blah, 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 you know, the typical meetup. Uh, what some of what we're hearing is is there might be interest in something that happens say every six weeks that is a Saturday morning for a couple of hours and is more of a you know a workshop type of thing yeah. versus um, because it's funny I've traveled a whole bunch in the last couple of years and every metro area complains about the traffic mm-hmm. and so it's not limited to the bay area here but if we have it in any location there's going to be a group of people who go i would have come but it's at a bad it's a, it's too far away for me to get to you on a tuesday night at 6:30 so we're going to do a little experimentation i think with some workshops on some focused topics at you know say 9:30 to 11:30 on a saturday morning See what see if that might work better. Yeah, um, I hope you all kind of tweet and, and cover social media and that so others can learn from it. Or perhaps we need to circle back in a couple months and <laughs> and do another episode and focus in on that topic. Um, that would be cool. And it is great. You kind of lobbed up this right, this idea of team for me, which is another thread that I wanted to pull with you during our chat today, right? If you think about the work that you're doing at Powered by Teams, it is about building and enabling high-performing teams. So whether that's you being someone that wants to champion and lead the startup of a Women in Agile um, local chapter or your role within your organization or, or what have you, what what is some of kind of your secret sauce and that, that fairy dust that you kind of pull out as you're doing that work towards mm-hmm. building high-performing high teams? You know, it's it's really interesting because at some point you, you start to look back on your on the dots in your career and try to understand how they all connect together. And one of the passions that I've had throughout my career has been how groups of people work together to accomplish big objectives. Because if you look at historically, 
you know, the, the significant things that have happened in our society don't happen because one person had a great idea. It's a group of people who get a vision, understand an objective, and work together towards that. Um, and I was really lucky in one of my first uh, projects at Hewlett-Packard was a high-performing team. And it was about the time that the book, The Wisdom of Teams, came out by um, Jeffrey Katzenbach. And in it, he talks about, you know, objective being something that's really important so that teams understand where they're going and they learn how to support them, uh, support each other towards that objective. And then, now bear in mind, this book was, was published like 25 years ago. He said, beyond that, yeah, we're still figuring it out. And he said, it'll be the most satisfying, deeply soulful, connected, you know, when you're part of a high-performing team, you will love it. Most people get one or two of them in their career. And yeah, we're still figuring it out. Now, fast forward 25 years, I think, you know, the Aristotle project that um, Google sponsored with respect to things like, you know, psychological safety, just the general aspects of the values, the principles, and the manifesto of Agile support high-performing teams in terms of understanding our values, um, working with transparency, being self-organized, but having that more star of an of an objective to move towards. Those are it's it's the secret sauce isn't so secret anymore, but it's creating the ecosystem with the climate that supports that that's a challenge because there's still so many places that believe that believe that the way that you get something done is you drive people and you push people versus creating being more of a gardener and creating you know the environment that supports the growth of a team and the uh, the evolution of a team yeah i um i often in some of the work that i do uh will think of the analogy of wanting to create the perfect Petri dish mm. where bacteria can thrive. <laughs> and in this instance, it's not the bad bacteria, but it's the good, healthy bacteria you need in your body. Yeah. Um, and it's because I want them to go and infect the host. And right, you know, I'm, I'm working in a team of about 250 agile coaches you know, here in North America. And so it's like, we, you know, lots and lots of good bacteria that can go infect other folks. And it really is all about what's that right environment, what's that ecosystem uh, where people can thrive and then magic things happen. So basically what you're saying is the new tagline for, for our work in Agile is Agile, the penicillin for the world of work. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> oh, goodness. So what is, let's kind of keep building on this idea. So if we want to create these environments, mm -hmm. um, it's very rarely are people uh, afforded the luxury of creating their own environment. It often takes the role of a leader or someone else that's courageous and stepping forward to sort of create that space and, and enable that container to be there. Mm. Um, so when you think about that role of leadership as it pertains to building high-performing teams, what are some of the important things that you've been thinking about? So, so one of the things that I stumbled across a couple of years ago was the concept that not only do organizations have culture, and culture being, you know, how, how, what it feels like to work here on a macro scale, 
which might be the whole company or this division, this business unit, something like that. But it also has the concept of something called a climate. And the Bay Area is an interesting place because we have microclimates. You know, the temperature uh, where I am here in Los Altos, California, could be 15 degrees or 20 degrees warmer than San Francisco, which is basically a 40-minute drive up the highway from here. So similarly, within a company, you can have climates, meaning a team can choose and create kind of their bubble of how they work and how they view things. And I've worked in a couple of places that were certainly were toxic work environments. And you see often within a toxic work environment, a team that has created their own little climate and they're having the time of their lives. They're a high performing team. They're, they're getting stuff done and it's almost in spite of the toxicity around them. And so as a leader, at any level, and I mean as a leader who is a scrum master, as a leader who is a team member, or as a leader who is a director or a VP, you can kind of look at how do you create a space where people honor each other, communicate, have um, the, 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 you might call them rituals, but the practices, the in the inside way of doing things, the, um, and the, understanding of values and the willingness to spend time together, that almost can create a, uh, a situation where people um, bond together and do amazing work almost in spite of the greater organization. So, you know, I would encourage folks who are interested in culture, but say, you know, that's the big boss's job. That's the C-suite's job to reconsider because much of what you read about culture can be also applied within like a team to say, how do we want, what do we want it to be like when we work together on as team X? Um, yeah. And I think the, the phrase that's so resonant for me, as you describe that is this idea of um, leading from the position of relationship. Yes. And that is true for you and me in this podcast conversation and whoever I'm in a meeting with later today and next week and the day after that. And it's just operating and being intentional mm -hmm. about leading your own life and leadership of self from that position of relationship. Yes. It's, I think that that's the future of leadership. You know, there's there's been plenty of, you know, things published about empathy and EQ and all of that. And what it really adds up to is, uh, is that when we talk about large organizations doing significant things, uh, we're talking about large groups of people working together. And I think that's one of the things that either if we're going to be writing the obituary or the next um, awesome headline for Agile, it's going to be how well do we coach our clients and our, our organizations towards those relationships and the stewardship of those relationships. Because uh, when you scale agile, you well, what you're talking about is teams, teams of teams and teams of teams of teams, people, more and more people working together. And that's one of the things that I guess I'm passionate about is how do we keep the focus on the people as we talk about accomplishing bigger things through larger organizations. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of a theme that's been in many of these conversations is um, Agile, how fortunate we are that Agile is a fantastic vehicle for simply bringing good into the world. Yes, yes. Um, 
Yeah. And, and you mentioned a minute ago, Laura, kind of the future of Agile. As we start looking to wrapping up today, let's talk about kind of the future of Laura. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that what is it that you're doing to sort of um, invest in your own professional growth? What are you geeking out about these days? Because um, I always find that that can be inspirational for other people. Mm. So, you know, I, I think a big point of geekitude for me right now is looking at um, other play, other other venues that have similar interests and uh, ways of working to Agile. And, and, you know, where can we build some bridges? And so mm-hmm. I've been geeking out recently a lot about culture and about change. I have gone to two culture conferences in the last couple of months and have you know, I was the only quote unquote agilist in the room. And all of these folks are talking about transparency and about the importance of teams and the importance of, um, of working together. And, you know, basically they have almost, I, I would say hundred percent overlap of with the values of agile and the ways that we work. And in many cases, they are just naturally agile, especially when you talk to some of the millennials and, what I'm seeing is an opportunity for, as you were saying, the, 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 the Petri dish is to enlarge the Petri dish and to join up with some other um, movements out there to say, how can we uh, have an even bigger approach? Because from a culture perspective, most of the people at that conference were chief people, officers, HR people, um, other, other venues than the classic you know, product development organization. Uh, and I had great conversations with them about what are we doing in the world of Agile. And then they were telling me about some of the things that they were doing in, in their work with culture. Um, so, and similarly with change, you know, there's, there's been a classic um, approach in, in change management circles to think of change from a very waterfall perspective. You control change, you manage change. You don't embrace it and ask where's the opportunity in it, which is ultimately what business agility can bring to an organization is, uh, is not just enduring the storm, but surfing the storm to greater heights of business success. And the change community is starting to play around with the idea of agile and they're starting. Yeah. To, emergent yeah, change. Emergent change. Yeah. And how do you, how do you capitalize on that instead of just worrying about not being disrupted? How do you look at what's going on in the world and in your space of your business and say, how do I do that? And at the same time, capitalize on it. And at the same time, honor all of the people who are quite frankly, you know, change um, fatigue to the nth degree in most companies. Yes, yes. And then when you take change fatigue on top of another topic that I've been thinking about some recently, which is the idea of role nausea, <laughs> right? Yes. When maybe you've, you've been in a role too long or the, the system always dreams you up to be this sort of person and you're like, I'm ready to be something new. Um, that sort of sentiment combined with change fatigue mm-hmm. um, I'm not, it is not a good place for anyone to be. Um, so I, I love the fact that you actually use the word disruptor or disrupt, because I think that often as the, the market becomes more volatile, um, 
you can be disrupted, which forces you kind of to be operating from your back foot in a reactive position. Mm -hmm. But part of this idea of um, emergent change is almost how do we, how do we take the power of disruption as a catalyst for ourselves Mm -hmm. um, to intentionally always kind of, um, well, I'll go back to the science thread, uh, to always be cancering, right? Our bodies from a molecular perspective or cellular basis are always cancering and rejuvenating cells and recycling them. And then when it goes wrong, the tumors form and we end up with cancer. So, but what is it that we can harness in this sort of disrupt and regenerate sort of cycle so that we're always inventing ourselves to be something new? Yeah, it's all about reinvention these days. And I think one of the opportunities for the, the consultants in the world is is figuring out how to nurture that idea for so many of the folks who ha- still are clinging to the idea of long-term single employer. You know, I work for the person and they basically tell me what it is that I need to do. I mm-hmm. celebrate, um, you know, I get to reinvent myself pretty regularly because stuff changes a lot. And that's an opportunity that I would wish for everyone to see that um, the fact that their companies change and that things shift and that there's, you know, your job today is not going to be your job tomorrow is a huge opportunity for you to grow and to find new ways to flourish either there or someplace else. And, you know, it's. There's another episode hiding in here around the brain science of that and adult cognitive development uh, and socialized mind versus self-authoring mind and all sorts of fun places we could go. <laughs> oh, yeah. You and I could talk for hours, I think, Leslie. Yeah, probably so. Well, listen, Laura, as we wrap up, kind of final topic, any wisdom or inspiration you want to leave with our listeners? Oh, what would I leave as inspiration? I think... I think that there is so much uncertainty in, in the business world right now and in, in the world in general. And I think that it's really easy with how, how easy it is for us to communicate now to feel just bogged down by all of the change and all of the opportunities for improvement, or let's just be frank, all of the problems in the world and in business and, and whatnot. And at the end of the day, you know, the the, the, the question of whether, you know, ha, has it been a good day could boil down to simply, you know, who did you interact with and did you help them further what they were looking to accomplish in the world? Did you lift them up? Did you give them a new idea? Did you inspire them in some way? Because if we each did a small something in that way every day, it will transform the world. And I believe yeah. that there's more good than there is challenge. It's just that we naturally as humans want to focus on the things that we want to improve and never take your eyes off of all of the goodness that there is and all the opportunity there is to communicate to whatever community you choose to be part of, whether that's women in Agile or any other any other group of people looking to accomplish something because there's places to contribute. Yeah, I, I talk. I call that giving your glow. Oh, and if at the end of the day you gave just a little bit of your glow to someone else, then 
they do that and they do that. And every day that goes by, the world becomes a little bit of a brighter place. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really weird to be having done this for a number of years now and to run into someone at a conference and for them to say, I heard you speak, you know, three years ago and you said something that really profoundly um, changed my way of thinking. And it's really impacted my work in a very positive way. And I'll be standing there going, Oh, good God, I can't even remember what I what I spoke on that year at the conference, much less, you know, what I was trying to convey, but it's so good to feel that you're helping other people that way. Yeah, well, and I, I'm glad that we're going to have this, Laura, now sort of recorded in posterity, this conversation, because I I feel richer coming out of it. I feel a little more glowy. Oh. And um, and hopefully our listeners will, too. Thank you for being with me today. Oh, you're so welcome, Leslie. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership with Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And you can go online to learn more about the Women in Agile initiatives on womeninagile.org. We invite you to go there and find more inspiring podcast conversations as well. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.